And you know what? People want f***ing middleman. Welcome to an all-new episode of the McFuture Podcast. Predictions and prescriptions for a world filling up with imaginary coins, but starved for meaning. I'm Steve Factor, and today I want to talk about something very important, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Now, I'm sure you're a lot like me in that your grandfather or grandmother probably taught you never kick a cryptocurrency when it's down. I know it's bad form. A lot of people lost money. A lot of people had hopes and dreams and wallets and uh, pictures of monkeys that they spent sometimes hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions for. And they might be mourning them right now. Well, now is not the time to kick them in the nuts. But let's punch them in the stomach because it is time to bury Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So come on on this wonderful adventure with me. All right. Well, first, I think it's important to pay our disrespects to all the shills out there, the mad demons of the world who went out there bravely saying that, well, <laughs> you would have to be brave. History is filled with almosts with those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, then there are others. The ones who embrace the moment and commit. Fortune favors the brave. Matt, you, you are the Pied Piper of Ocean's Eleven. The other actors are busy making spirits and wines and real stuff. Like George Clooney made billions of dollars selling you alcohol. He did, uh, was it Trust Migos, Dos Migos, Amigos, some Migos kind of alcohol. And now he's a billionaire. And Matt, you decided instead of giving us a product and something delicious to drink and getting us to forget, really, which is what alcohol does best. You made us remember forever that you were available for Quick Buck, and so was Tom and Giselle. What do you think? Are you in? You know what? I'm in. Let's call everyone. This guy. What's up? I'm getting into crypto. With FTX. You in? We're providing gives 360-degree access to the crypto markets with the ability to trade everything from alts to DeFi. I believe I'm in, but still hate you. Understood. Apparently, having hundreds of millions is not enough. I know these homes get expensive. I know filling up those Hummers and getting Hummers and whatever else that you spend money on, Tom, can't be cheap. And of course, he had to go back to work at the NFL because he realized that even at age 43, sitting around at home with a supermodel, is no picnic. I get it, Tom. I'm with you. Me and you, we are Dos Migos. Just recently, Tony Blair and Bill Clinton together at a crypto conference. I heard that uh, they thought they were going to Epstein's Island and the plane was diverted and then they broke the news to them. He said, crypto, I thought you said crypto. They smoothed everything over with some imaginary coins. No, I'm kidding. They actually paid them cash. I'm not saying cryptocurrency isn't real, but it's much closer to digital hockey than it is to actual money. 
Now that money is so great, we've been getting screwed by both monetary policy and fiscal policy. No one can manage money in this economy. We've been paying for everything with debt. We've got multi-trillion dollar deficits. We've printed tons of money, trillions of dollars during COVID. And that's why people piled into all this stuff. They're like, what the hell? I need to own something real, a house, a, a stock, anything, these monkey pictures, whatever it is, I need to hold on to value because dollars aren't. You can't blame people for wanting to hold on to their savings, money that they've worked hard for. And we're taking that away from them because our productivity as an economy doesn't match our spending. And no one wants to see a world where we spend only what we earn. Even I've had moments where even on recent episodes, I was like, maybe I should buy some crypto. I never did because deep down, I just never believed in it. Not that there isn't something there and there's some really smart people looking for a there there. <laughs> they haven't found it, but they've been looking. And so I don't want to discount all of the brain power that's gone into this. But at this point, I think we have to just solely based on the results. First, there's a big psychological component here, right? People want to believe, at least the hardcore believers, they want to believe that there's some kind of utopia at the other end, some decentralized world where we don't need corporations, we don't need banks, where we could just look at each other and go, I know, I know you're a bank. And you know, I'm a bank and together we just, we just need us. We don't need PayPal. We don't need Citibank. It's just the two of us, just the two of us, you know, and uh, everyone would break into song and that would be the end of it. You would do your transaction and, and it would just be lovely and beautiful. And I, I want to live in that world too, but you're not competing against empty space. You're competing against things that already exist, which means you have to be better. And if you're not better, and if you're not faster, if you're not more convenient, if you're not uh, more easy to understand, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it as a, an alternative. Now, uh, people can say, oh, it's still early. You know, Let, Let's get into that. First of all, what most people found uh, thus far owning Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies is they're just paying fees, whether it's storage fees or uh, transaction fees when they're buying and selling. And the fees are ridiculous, like out of control, like crazy, crazy fees. Nothing like you would even see at banks and banks, <laughs> banks, no fees. This stuff sitting useless in a digital wallet isn't exactly exciting. But when it's going up, it is exciting because you open that app and every day it's like, oh my God, I just made another $10,000 on paper, but still it gives you that rush. It gives you that dopamine. It's like 10,000 likes on uh, a post that you put out on Facebook. And you start thinking about all the things that you could buy with your Bitcoin. At the end of the day, there's something very cynical about cryptocurrency. Not so much the technology itself or the idea of it, because the idea on the surface makes sense because like digital gold, there's a finite amount of it and no third party can devalue it. The government can't just print unlimited amounts. And there's checks and balances because there's a blockchain where you can check all of the transactions to make sure there's no uh, double counting and that whatever someone says they have, they actually have, and that transactions go through. Of course, it takes a long time for a lot of those transactions to go through because blockchains are slow. So I get 
the premise. The problem is that the people who it's attracted, the venture capitalists, the profiteers, they are participating in alchemy. This is, and I have to hand it to them, this is the closest thing to pure alchemy, which is the creation of gold. And what frustrates me is all of these smart, creative people have been lured in by alchemy. They all wanted a quick buck. The people who used to go to Silicon Valley or venture capitalists, the people who would fund them, used to want to make you a product that you'd want to buy or a service that you want to subscribe to. Now they skip that completely. They've bypassed the product directly to making the currency and the profit that they want. It is so wild. The people who have profited from this, hats off to you. I'm impressed. And you got a lot of people believing for a long, long time that you have to keep buying and it kept attracting new and new people. Now this haze that everyone was in uh, in 2021 buying meme stocks and all this stuff. Now there's actual inflation and people are having trouble affording gas. Fake money doesn't have that same je ne sais quoi. Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, he went off to create his own crypto world, something called Web5. He kind of waged war on all the venture capitalists that have effectively controlled a lot of the Bitcoin and crypto world because digital tends to concentrate. So it creates a few winners. The exchanges were concentrated. The mining companies were concentrated because the ones that attract the most capital can do it at scale and they're more efficient. They can market more efficiently. They can service people more efficiently. It's just like social networks. There's only room for so many. And Jack, as soon as he quit Twitter, kind of went to war with these guys. And for a while, Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz was following me on Twitter. Well, when I retweeted Jack Dorsey and agreed with him that the decentralization dream was actually a fraud, um, well, Mark Andreessen blocked me <laughs> and he blocked, every, he went on a blocking spree because they are as far as I know, the number one biggest investor in crypto and crypto companies. So obviously uh, he was taking this personally and I find it kind of funny how thin skinned these guys are. And also look, they've got money at stake and these guys have raked it in. Crypto and Bitcoin are part of a bigger picture. These venture capitalists are trying to sell. Web3, the premise is you control your own data and you give others the right to access it for individual transactions. So whether it's your resume, your social media posts, your data, and monetizing all of it. So they sell it to you as like, hey, finally you can make money from your data. Well, I got news for you. Your data is worth my data to Facebook is worth maybe $200 a year in terms of ads that I see and any other transaction that I do on Facebook. Uh, same thing with these other networks. Maybe Google a little bit more. They just have more ways to monetize you. But it's not life-changing money. The value of this data 
isn't at the individual level. The entities that can concentrate and consolidate as much of it as possible, just like Facebook, just like Google do, they're the ones who stand to make billions of dollars. So those guys are going to still exist. It's still going to concentrate. There's still going to be third parties. So everything that they're talking about does not get a pass from the logic of capitalism. It just doesn't. And they know it. They know it better than anyone because they're capitalists and they wouldn't be funding any of these projects and companies if they didn't know that better than anybody. So Web3 will centralize one way or another because that's how capitalism works. You know, I I was going to do a whole episode uh, picking apart Web3, but it's sort of like it's like doing open heart surgery on a patient that's been decapitated. Is it worth using a new heart for someone who has no head? Around 2013, I wrote this piece in Forbes called uh, Why Bitcoin is the My Space of Money and What Might Save It. Something like that. I don't remember the exact title. My main point in there, Bitcoin is not a currency. Well, now, nine years later, the founder of one of the biggest exchanges basically said the same thing. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried says Bitcoin has no future as a payments network because of its inefficiency and high environmental costs. So Bitcoin was never going to be it. It kind of got rebranded as uh, digital gold. But again, if it's just sitting there and if it's just collecting transaction fees and you're just hoping other people come in and create demand for those coins, it's no utility at all. Uh, Blockchains in general are inefficient unless you have a really good reason for using one. Having a copy of every transaction on multiple servers is really not the most efficient efficient way to transact unless you really distrust the middleman. And increasingly, we're living in a world where the middleman is more or less trustworthy and it's not the first time you're dealing with someone. So uh, unless you're doing illicit transactions, that trust is probably going to be provided by a third party. And and even in the crypto world, it's still provided by third parties, or at least some part of that chain or that value chain is. None of these networks are even close in transaction speed and capacity to what Visa and MasterCard can handle. That doesn't mean it can't change. There's so much money going into this space that it theoretically could, but they'd need to be providing some additional value that right now they're not. And in my view, Bitcoin was always kind of a race against time because you have this finite number of coins, you have a set of believers who invested early and they need to get more and more people into the fold so the value of their investment goes up. And really, it was their mission to get enough rich powerful people into the fold so they can lobby government in order to force adoption. I say force, make it part of the financial system so that it becomes legitimized. That legitimization is important. I wrote about that in that piece originally. I said, look, unless you get these major players on board, and some of them have been coming on board, but the problem is everyone I know in financial services, I worked in financial services and payments specifically for a long time, Visa, MasterCard, Citigroup, the people I know, they've all tried to find something in blockchain 
or cryptocurrency. They've all created task forces and all kinds of great conversations with the leaders in the space. They've put investments into these companies. No one tries harder to milk money out of fake money than these guys. And almost all of those groups have been disbanded. The expectations for big money have waned. Well, the only useful thing that's come out of it is for foreign exchange because they do kind of cut out a middleman. Beyond that, none of these guys have come up with anything. And we're 10 years in. 10 years, no utility, no widespread adoption of any crypto technology other than trading or doing illicit transactions. So if you're a believer, you have to be at least a little bit concerned that in a decade, there's not one single major adoption or use case other than trading, which is just speculation on the currency itself, or illicit transactions. And uh, ransomware has shot through the roof in the last few years because there are some currencies that are not that traceable. I think the one that is most popular is Monero. The blockchain is is encrypted, and so it's, it's a little bit easier to hide your transactions. So you get to the core of this thing, and you're like, what are they promising? They're saying, no middleman. And you know what? People want middleman. When your transactions don't go through or there's fraud or the merchant screwed up, people want a number to call. They don't want to be their own goddamn bank. They want to be able to call a bank and say, hey, what's going on? Put the money back into my account. They want FDIC insurance. They want some sort of security. They don't want some level of responsibility that they can't Take on. People can barely control their own passwords. <laughs> they're putting them on stickies on their on their screens. You think they're going to be able to handle hashes for their life savings? That's insanity. Coinbase and all these uh, crypto exchanges have custodian capabilities, which means instead of you holding your crypto, they hold on to your crypto. But then when Coinbase was having problems, they changed their terms of service. It basically said if something happens to Coinbase, they get to keep your money. You're playing with fire. And most people are barely able to log into their Gmail without having to redo their passwords or two-factor authentication. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of these new middlemen. They're not the same as the old middlemen, but it's a lot of the same money that goes into all the different startups and a lot of even, you know, old school financial services companies. So if you're under some delusion that you're getting some decentralized product, you're not. You're just getting a slight rebadging and rebranding under a different umbrella, which may be fine if they were giving you great utility, but they're not. And once you start putting back into crypto all the things that people expect, like security and fraud protection, like refunds, like insurance, like customer service, and then the speed and convenience and simplicity of some of the apps that we use, Cash App or using Venmo. You put in a number, you put in an email address, you send it. It couldn't be easier. And crypto maybe at some point can get there, but then it's going to start to look a lot like everything else that's out there and their cost to provide those services as we expect them is going to be almost the same, if not higher than what it is today with dollars or whatever it is people use. 
So there are no savings here. And you can see that by their costs today. And it's kind of funny that libertarians love to talk about taxation as theft, but they don't seem to mind private enterprises stealing their money through transaction fees. I just saw VCs were piling tons of cash into crypto startups and blockchain startups. One possibility is there's a lag, they had some commitments, but the reality is financial services is a huge profitable industry that's protected by regulations. And for the time being, Crypto's under-regulated because regulators are too slow and dumb to even understand what it is. As long as that's the case, there's this moment of arbitrage where these guys maybe can sneak in there and take some of those thick, juicy, Lizzo-like <laughs> profits that sit in financial services. I, I was reading that um, the the founders of... Coinbase all sold tons of their stock. They got their money. And that's really the bottom line here. Most of the value in my estimation of Bitcoin, let's just take that specifically, has already been extracted, whether it's from companies that took advantage of the stock market highs and the crazy valuations, or just in general, I did the math. So the market cap of crypto was $1 trillion dollars. The value of all the wealth on earth is 360 trillion and physical property was 217. So I deducted the two. So I said of the 143 trillion left, let's say crypto is going to be 10% of the value, $14 trillion. So the jump from 1 trillion to 14 trillion would be 14 X. At the time I said, it's probably closer to 5%, which is what gold is. That means that at the time, crypto, which was trading at 58,000, there was 7x upside. That means 700%, which on the surface sounds pretty good, but that means everything has to go right. And then crypto becomes as valuable as gold. Do you want to take that risk? Because the people who got in early made hundreds of thousands of percentage points return. $1,000 that turned into tens of millions. You're never going to get anywhere near that. Even in a best case scenario, even if it's 10% of all assets in the world. Again, this is just the back of the envelope uh, calculation. But the reason I did that is just to see how much is left in the tank. And what's left is way less than where it came from. The risk is much higher, but the upside just isn't there. Not nearly as much. Could be 700%, could be 1400%, or could be 0%. So on a risk-adjusted basis, I, I don't know that I would take that bet. And maybe it's worth doing if you are okay losing that money. That's fine. So I think what's left in Bitcoin right now are, are three things. One is people who've made their money and are keeping some plain money in there in case there is a ton of upside and demand. Uh, there's also a bunch of dupes. <laughs> I call it dupe capital, which is the name of my new venture firm for crypto. Just people who were suckered in, who saw their friends buying Ferraris or $30,000 uh, monkey NFTs. And there's a few hardcore believers. Their hopes and dreams are tied into this libertarian utopia that's attached to 
cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And you almost have to treat those separately because there's a lot of hardcore Bitcoin maximalists. For our purposes, I think it's one in the same, but they don't think of it that way because Bitcoin is more like digital gold. And then crypto in their mind are these utility tokens, except there's no utility yet. But hoping that once there is utility, those tokens, man, are they going to be super valuable. Practice, it behaves like a Ponzi scheme in the sense that the only way old holders get to benefit is if new holders come in and create demand for those coins and bid up the price. That's it. It's that simple. That's why it's in the interest of people who hold it and investors who invest in it to keep pumping it up. All the economics are identical to Ponzi economics. Whether it is or it isn't almost doesn't matter. And now everyone's losing their shirt in this thing. Individual investors, they they took a tumble. The entire country of El Salvador and these crypto Bitcoin guys were like, look at this, El Salvador, the model for the future. They are going bankrupt because of the amount of money they put into uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. They're not going to be able to make the payments on their bonds. I thought it was just like a marketing move to get some of these Bitcoiners to maybe uh, open up shop over there, or attract some startups, but they really went the believer route. And same thing with that guy, Michael Saylor. He's the founder and CEO of a company called MicroStrategy, which is a software firm. He bet all of the cash of his company on Bitcoin. And he, there's clips of him going, if I told you, I know how it all ends, Right. Once you know how it all ends, that, that the only use of time is how do I buy more Bitcoin? <laughs> but take all your money, buy Bitcoin, then take all your time, figure out how to borrow more money to buy more Bitcoin, then take all your time and figure out what you can sell to buy Bitcoin. And if you absolutely love the thing that you're that you don't want to sell it, go mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin with it. And if you've got a business that you love because your family works for the business that's in your family for 37 years and you can't bear to sell it, mortgage it, finance it, and convert the proceeds into the hardest money on earth, which is Bitcoin. Total insanity. If people listen to them, they would be broke. They would literally be selling their cars and probably uh, trying to buy an AR-15 and go hunt them down. I Don't do that. I'm just saying a lot of justifiable anger, potentially. Never give people financial advice. I'm not giving you financial advice here. I'm just telling you how I feel about this whole universe. And there's people who believe El Salvador and Bitcoin and the South shall rise again. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are waking up, they're like, what the hell am I holding? I am holding my own Schwanz. And that's why they started to sell and, and get the hell out of it. This is a very controversial opinion, but <laughs> it's what I do. All digital currencies are threats to liberty. I think crypto and blockchain technology are a Trojan horse to tracking and really subjugation and decreasing rather than increasing freedom. If you give someone cash, no one's really going to be able to track it. Yeah, I guess there's numbers on the bills and if it's large enough bills and you're being surveilled and someone wrote down those numbers, yeah, they could track it down. But right now there are companies like Chainalytics, which is able to 
uh, track all of the transactions on a blockchain, trace it to all the different wallets involved. And a lot of these wallets are connected to uh, people with uh, Coinbase accounts or FTX accounts. And they're uh, supposed to identify people because they're operating in the US. So it's uh, know your customer, KYC. It's becoming easier and easier to uncover who did the transactions, what they bought. So now you're not even getting the main benefit of this secure currency. Essentially, you're leaving fingerprints everywhere with the delusional belief that they can't be followed when they can, increasingly so. And look, there's a lot of other issues that have been covered by others. I'll name them, but I won't go into it. The volatility, the environmental toll, the uh, ownership concentration and how few people own the bulk of crypto and Bitcoin, uh, the hacking, the lost coins, the lost passwords, all this stuff. There's so many issues. But I think the biggest lesson here is there's no easy money. Maybe for a little while, maybe if you get in early, maybe if you're lucky, you can. But to keep this thing going is going to be hard. It's going to be hard because a lot of people have been burned and no one's really gotten any utility out of this. The other lesson is venture capitalists are not going to build our utopia. They're not going to, they might build a viable competitor to another company that exists or something useful or whatever. That's great. But you're just adding another company into the mix. You're not changing money. You're not decentralizing anything. You're not reinventing finance. You're just not. You're maybe, if you're successful, putting a successful player into the mix, just like PayPal got added as a successful player, didn't put anybody out of business. The same thing with maybe some, some crypto companies. So what happens next? We're going to enter a lull. Maybe it plummets further. Maybe new people become reluctant or maybe a new flock of people shows up. I don't know. But the next phase of crypto has to prove that there's value here. It has to be faster, cheaper, more useful, or something completely new. It can't be this, a decade of speculation. Now government is talking about creating its own digital currency, which I think is the worst of both worlds. It's completely traceable and the quantity is not limited. They can still screw around with it just like they do with the dollar and devalue it. And now they're tracking it. So it's got all the worst qualities of both regular money and crypto. And we do need better solutions. And one thing I'm going to look into, and I'll save this for a future episode, is uh, Jack Dorsey just released a deck for Web5, which is a series of protocols for a truly decentralized crypto wallet and crypto exchanges. I need to go through it, but it's so early and it's so foundational that it's really just for techies at this point. So much would have to be built on it for it to be useful that even when I go through it, I've seen the deck. I just haven't absorbed all of it yet. I don't think it's ready for prime time and probably won't be until some use cases are proved. In fact, Vitalik Buterin, uh, who's the founder of Ethereum, he was worth billions. I don't know if he's still worth billions. He started talking about this whole idea of 
a soulful crypto future, essentially similar to what I mentioned earlier, taking control of your digital identity and all of your certifications and validation of, of who you are, what you've done. And I think it's useful in certain things, you know, things that are mostly digital, but it's not universal. It's not going to be a replacement for reputation. It's not going to be a replacement for a university with a big name like Harvard or Yale. What they're discounting and what all of the crypto space is discounting is the social aspects of life. You can't throw technology at everything without taking into account the psychology of people and reputation and brand and all the things that just can't be digitized because there's an intangible of saying, I went to Harvard, uh, more so than maybe a more qualified person who has a digital wallet that proves that they've done better coding and better writing than anyone who came out of Harvard. The other thing they're not taking into account is incumbency. You don't just get to overthrow governments. <laughs> you, you don't just get to slide a currency in when the entire country and its sovereignty relies on its currency whether it's the Eurozone or the US or the Yuan in China, their fates are intertwined. And once they start to understand that there's a threat, you are delusional to think they wouldn't squelch it. And there are so many ways to do it, whether it's through cell phone networks or IP addresses or mining companies or clamping down on exchanges. It, most people are not going to want to be fugitives. Yes, maybe you technically can't shut down crypto because there could always be a server somewhere, or multiple servers somewhere that are running these uh, transactions through and, and keeping track of the blockchain. But there are so many choke points that in practice, it can be shut down and will be, just like the Great Firewall shuts down all kinds of traffic into China, and the companies that currently provide all the stuff or the developers are not gonna make themselves fugitives to keep your crypto alive. So that's a delusion. I'm gonna continue this at some point. I get suckered in too, because there's so much here, so much complexity here, that it almost leads you to believe there's a there there. And 10 years in, I don't think it's up to me to prove there's a there. It's up to them, the people who've invested all this time, money, and effort on alchemy. The alchemists have to prove that there's a there there. And so far, they haven't. I'm Steve Factor. I hope you enjoyed this. Share it with others. If you can, support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash McFuture. That's it for this week. I'll see you next time on the McFuture. It's also funny to me how all of these corporations, you know, because corporations, it takes them forever to do anything. They got to have meetings. They got to have discussions with lawyers and risk management. They have a task force. They have to do a bunch of PowerPoint slides. Finally, 
Nickelodeon releases its NFTs after NFTs have plummeted. NFTs are basically questionable rights to digital images. They're releasing some of their characters uh, as NFTs. Coinbase, which launched an NFT platform, only had in the first month had like $860,000 in transactions. It was a total flop. And NFL and all these brands are all getting in on it, but they're getting in too late. The bloom is off this rose. Financial services companies are showing up like BlackRock's iShares. They put up an ad. IBLC is here, our first ever blockchain and tech ETF, giving investors access to companies at the forefront of blockchain. No one wants your old ass ETFs. They don't want to lose their money to ETFs, man. They want to lose the keys to their Bitcoin wallet. They want their crypto exchange broken into hackers, scams. That's the new way to lose money. BlackRock, Go back to buying houses in the real world. No respect for the young generation. Who told Michael Saylor to turn his software business into an investment firm? If you want to invest with your own money, go. That That's great. But he's got a publicly traded company and now he hosed all his investors because he basically turned it into an investment firm for crypto which is a high volatility, high risk endeavor, even in the best of times. Oops, Butterfingers, we lost your money.